Welcome to the Sports Memory Podcast. This is Derek Black. Marcus Anthony. Newman. The Newman. So we're going to switch it up a little bit this time. Uh, we're going to switch up the format and get a little bit into baseball to start. Um, that's what we're going to be doing in the offseason. We're going to be touching on baseball, hockey, uh, basketball, college basketball, and obviously the XFL. And uh, we're going to start off with some baseball today and then get back into the normal hockey, uh, or sorry, the normal football, obviously, with it being the playoffs, uh, get back into to the football. But we're going to start off with, obviously, the headlines, what everybody's talking about right now, uh, with the, the Major League Baseball and the cheating scandal involving both the Astros and the Red Sox. And probably just about every other and team. Probably every other team anybody in that coaching tree touched, <laughs> and or uh, and you know the, the the clubhouse and how far does this go? Uh, Maybe may a while before we figure out exactly how far. There's already some hints and implications about the Yankees, uh, but obviously it, it's it's pretty rampant and, and pretty sophisticated. Um, so Newman, I, I know we were, talk, we were talking a little bit before the pod. What do you think about this? So first off, just for listeners that might not have been paying attention, um, the Houston Astros faced a severe penalty uh, in for their role in the using video replay to steal signs and etc. Um, the specific sanctions were they were tacked with a first round draft pick for each the next each this draft and the and next draft. First two which, rounds, right? Yeah, first two rounds. So first and second round picks. Now the biggest thing about that is that ultimately it the money. So the the baseball draft, you have a certain allotment of money that you're allowed to spend in order to sign the players that you draft. Uh, players do not have to sign with the team that drafts them. They can opt to go to college, etc. There's other avenues that they can take. So the money, that's the biggest aspect of that. Um, in terms of valuations, somebody I saw an evaluation, whereas the picks totally, basically what they were are worth is about forty million dollars, yeah. which which is a huge sum. They were also uh, fined the, the maximum penalty. Uh, by the by the by the league, which is five million dollars, and then they suspended their GM Jeff Lunau, who built the whole thing. He was the one who took them from that awful team that they were right. to the perennial contender that they are, and then uh, manager AJ Hinch for a full year. Uh, in the in uh, press conference for the Houston Astros immediately following this, Jim Crane fired both Jeff Lunau and AJ Hinch, right. and then in further backlash, backlash we see Alex Cora. Uh, get relieved of his duties from the Boston Red Sox, although I saw one report that said it was a mutual parting of ways, etc. Um, and now the question is whether or not the Mets will fire Carlos Beltran, who they just hired this offseason and has not yet managed a single game, a single game. for the Mets. Right. Yeah, I mean, I know he was implicated, and there were, there were some hints, and, and you know, people have done some deep digging on Twitter, like they always do anytime anything happens. And uh, they found some some videos that you you're showing me earlier about Cora uh, after the London series, kind of you know wink and nod like with context now with with the context and the full story that we have now. Looking back on that, it's like man, that's pretty much an admission uh, in the middle of a press conference as to what was going on. Right. Yeah. Which it, which is absolutely insane that there's just straight up admission. There. Right. It's um, almost like, a, like he thought there was a code amongst people who were involved where none of them would rat each other out because they were all doing it. It's just like, uh, I remember there's a pitcher pitching as the Nationals not like, a few years ago that they the Nationals manager comes out and says, oh, hey, check in for Pintar. Peralta, like, yeah. Peralta, he was yeah. actually pitching for the Rays. The, he yeah. previously pitched for the Nationals. So they knew the tricks. Davey Johnson, <laughs> the Nationals manager, came out 
dirt after he threw a pit like threw well, a pitch yeah, the batter, like two pitches. came out and and had the umpire check his glove for pine tar because they knew that he used pine tar in his glove to get a better grip and it was okay um, with them when they when he was playing for them absolutely and then ratted him out when he was on the other team and madden <laughs> was lividly pissed yes i do recall that incident yeah so i feel like that's kind of a, a similar situation where well uh we know where the bodies are so when it's convenient for us, we're gonna we're gonna turn this in. Right. So um, Beltran is not facing any sanctions from the MLB nope. uh, for this incident due to the fact that he was a player at the time. He didn't contribute much to the team in terms of actual on-field production, but supposedly he was a good clubhouse guy. And when they say good clubhouse, <laughs> good clubhouse guy, guy, this may have a, had a major impact on that. Right. Um, the Mets hired him for you know a bunch of other in, important reasons, and he was actually working for the Yankees last year. Um, in which, you know, Cora was hinting that he had an impact in some of those games. So the Yankees fans, if you're cheering about the Red Sox getting rid of Cora and being cheaters and stuff like that, uh, don't think that you're going to get off clean here without, I mean, it, it very welcome to come down on you. Now, boys, I know we're, I know that the, the financial stipulations are steep, but it's not, obviously it's not something that these teams uh, won't be able to recover from. Um, wouldn't vacating those titles be more of a, a harsh punish punishment on legacies now and and now you can say yeah maybe not the players but they all took part in it yeah so here's the thing uh who won the world series right. no matter what you actually do in terms of who holds the title like when teams have celebrated national titles in football and basketball and stuff and they get vacated later guess what the fans that were enjoying those games still spent the money like you don't lose any money after uh, in that uh you still get the, the benefit you still get from to, recruiting yeah, you like, still, the reggie bush what are they gonna do yeah. make you take the banner down from right. your stadium no um and so, like, those those sanctions, just they don't hold much, wo- yeah. much weight. At the end of the day, if I'm a Houston Astros fan and you say, hey, you uh, you got to win a title and your GM and your and your manager get fired and you're going to face some, some consequences in terms of, like, drafting players later, would you take it? The answer is yes. All day long. Yeah. yeah. So flags fly forever. That's that's why, at the end of the day, if you're a Houston Astros fan, like, you're probably upset about this a little bit, but but you're not. You're I, was trying not to, I was trying to remember the quote. I saw, I can't remember who said it, but I saw that flags fly forever. It's like, it's it's done. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you think back uh, with, with the, the, the national championship that USC vacated. Right. Who won the national championship that year? Yeah. Fucking USC. Nobody's giving it to Texas or <laughs> right. whatever, whoever else was involved in that. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, I do have a question. Do you think Carlos Beltran should be fired? Uh, I think if you're the Mets, and again, uh, you just hired him. It was kind of a weird hire to begin with. It's not like you're losing anything. It's not like he's he's installed any of his own practices. It's not like he's he's done anything to change the culture yet. Um, I would just insult yourself from this incident. You're the Mets. You have enough fucking problems. Just insult yourself from this, from this cut and run and, and move on to somebody else. That's what I would do. Now, what will the Mets do? They're the Mets. So they're gonna, probably going to stand by this guy uh, and then fire him after the All-Star break because yeah, he sucks. So, so they're debating <laughs> it. Um, I don't think that they would need – here's one thing. I think the Mets actually on paper are a pretty good baseball team this year. You have some weakening of your opponents. Um, the Nationals lose Rendon. The the Braves lose Donaldson. You know, some other pieces and stuff. So the, the, and that division, They have the best pitcher in baseball. And, and that div- Yeah. Jacob deGrom is, is amazing. They and have that, Alonzo, and, who's going to hit 50 and, home and runs this year. They yeah. need some health. You know, sure. uh, health luck, which they've not had in recent seasons. No. But this team isn't bad on paper, so they they could be contenders very well, regardless of who the manager is. Question is, do you want Carlos Beltran to be the face of your franchise? Because essentially, that's what he would be as the manager. Oftentimes, the managers are 
absolutely one of the most like they stand out in front, especially for sure, former player teams. managers. Absolutely. Yeah. And Carlos Beltran was hired with all this fanfare going into the season as a former Met. Uh, Paul Duca on Twitter said, "I wish Carlos Beltran had been stealing signs when uh, he struck out on that curveball back in like '06." <laughs> Um, which Paul Aduka has his own issues, and we don't need to get into that right. here. But, yeah, pretty funny. So what do you think, how do you compare this? And, and obviously in this situation, the players uh, traded testimony against the organization um, in exchange for immunity from any repercussions themselves. How do you compare this, though, from the players involved to something like a Pete Rose, where, you know, allegedly from anything they were able to cor- corroborate, Pete Rose bet on his team to win as a manager. That's what it kind of boils down to. So we don't actually have evidence that Pete Rose did not bet yeah. against his team. They, but, but, they don't, but they don't have evidence that he did. Right. They just know that he bet and on his team in of evidence. which he was involved. Yeah, but they have a lot of evidence, and they don't have evidence that he that he bet against his team. So, I mean, that's kind of a it's – a, it's an important detail, but yeah. still just a detail. How do you compare that, though, in not being able to differentiate his playing career and his managing career – to where now Major League Baseball is drawing an extremely sharp line in the sand saying, you're a player, you're not responsible, you're a manager, you're responsible. See, I thought he was also betting on games he was playing in, or even while he was a player, games he wasn't playing in. Um, but it, it's always been to my understanding, and you know the tape has never lied, he, he was always 100% all about winning. Um, yeah. And to me, him not being in the Hall is... I can't the, imagine Charlie Hustle betting against his, his team. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it, that's, that's the biggest... Um, you know, disgrace that I've seen for Pete Rose to not be in the Hall of Fame. It's it's utter nonsense. Um, he, he's probably, he'll, he'll be the greatest hitter we ever see. Obviously, one day someone will surpass him and in, in as far as the numbers go. But him, he, him without a question needs to be inducted. It's, yeah. So I've seen this argument made before that, that I really like. Um, Pete Rose, there was no evidence necessarily as a player that I saw that he actually was betting on games. But he, but specifically well, he also as had that manager, he also had that weird like player manager. He was a player manager yeah. for like one year, yeah. but there's no evidence necessarily right. that any of sure. those bets took place that year. Um, but there's people in the in the Hall of Fame for Major League Baseball that are in as both a player and a manager. Right? So they distinguish so, them exactly. Yes. Pete Rose could be in specifically for his contributions as a player, but not his contributions as a manager. I don't think he ever gets in. While he's living, I think after he Which is dies, so sad. right? I do think after he dies, eventually they will let him in, um, what his name in, whatever, into the Hall of Fame. Um, but I think so. It comes down to the whole. He signed this agreement that said he would, you know, take the ban. Uh, so, and but his so I've actually did a little bit of like reading up on this just because I thought there was an interesting parallel, and obviously. Anytime there's anything that shades at cheating or misconduct in any way, they go back to Pete Rose for a comment. Uh, so he already said that this is ridiculous, that he thinks this is worse than what he did, which I agree with him. Um, but there was a... Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, I just lost it. The read, the reading uh, on a, what's that? You're talking about reading on the, um, the Pete Rose stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I lost it completely. Sorry, I guess we'll move on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Marcus, what do you think? Uh, is is this worse than than what Pete Rose did? Now, oh, without a question. Um, not that it makes hitting a hundred mile an hour fastball any easier, but you, it's a million times worse nonetheless. But truth be told, also, man, I'd love to see the uh, the movie on Pete Rose's story. I, I could definitely see him uh, hanging out, hang, hang, hanging out. The, you know, watch so the movie. I, I did remember it. So his version of the story is that he accepted. 
a what he thought to be temporary ban, and he would have the opportunity to later be reinstated and present more evidence, or basically like the the equivalent of a parole hearing. I believe in the agreement there is an option to for it to be like it is. Uh, indefinite ban, right? right? Not a permanent ban. But, yeah. but then the, the commissioner died like six months later from a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I guess we'll never get the full story on what was said in a closed room there. Yeah, so that's the other thing. I think um, T- uh, Selig is, was a guy who was, he was absolutely not going to put him in Ever. Um, or allow it to happen. Ever. Um, despite all the fact that he allowed, all the cheating that he allowed under his watch and stuff like that. All the steroids. Yeah. Um, and then Manfred is a, is a guy who's from the Selig tree, I guess, of commissioners. Yeah. And so he, I don't think he's going to really let it happen under him. Um, if Major League Baseball decides to move in another direction for the next commissioner, I think that's one area where you could see that happening uh, for Pete Rose. Um, and then another option is, you know, just with these later committees, with once all of the, you know, in a couple years here, we're going to have to decide what we're going to do with Barry Bonds, what we're going to do with Roger Clemens. They're starting to come up now. Right. I, I Put them in. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's possible they get in this year. Probably, I think they're on year eight, and you have ten. So they have two more seasons before they figure it out. Right. Um, and as the old guard of baseball writers dies off and, and loses their voting right privileges and stuff. That's going to be the big um, part of it, yeah. We could see some movement there and potentially their last couple years. If not then, they're up for another option in a couple years for like the the little little tiny the Barry, the Barry Bonds one's super interesting to me because by all accounts there's a definitive date when they can say this is when he started using steroids right I get the whole it's the same thing with the with with Pete Rose and he cheated and or, or he was gambling after he's a player so you can draw the line there but if you stop Barry Bonds's career and he, he retires the day he took steroids for he the first was already time, a hall of he was already a hall of famer yeah I mean I know you can't make the delineation he continued on but I think eventually he has to get in, especially if you look at the era. Uh, to your point, like baseball knew what was going on; yes. they looked the other way. So one of my one of my favorite writers to read about Hall of Fame stuff is Jay Jaffe, who writes for Fangraphs now, okay. and he's been doing a Hall of Fame series. He actually created a statistic called Jaws, which measures uh, players like peak seven year WAR versus Hall of Famers at there and and stuff, and compares it to other people in the Hall of Fame already. And at the end of the day, what he says is. He, he does not want to give credit or he does not want to penalize a guy for um, for using steroids on whether or not he used them or not we don't know etc when this era when there's no testing right right if you tested positive that's a different story in his mind because there's actually a rule in place versus wild wild west because and I think that's an interesting delineation to draw because uh, correct me if I'm wrong here but like the only reason we know McGuire cheated is because he told us he did. Right. The only reason, I mean, obviously, Sosa got caught with the cork back, but obviously he was juicing too. Uh, but Barry Bonds never tested. Did he only tested? Did he test positive? Well, there's he was affiliated with Balco and all that incident, that. but he was never he never tested positive. Right. But they got his records and they knew it because of of everything that Balco was going yeah. through. And Roger Clemens never actually tested positive right. either, even though there was evidence of steroids being shipped to his house. Yeah, we know it happened for his wife. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, yeah, like the, the Peyton Manning HGH uh, shipment yeah, or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so yes. <laughs> um, clear delineation in, in terms of those guys, and we'll, we'll talk. We'll have plenty of time to talk about yeah. some more baseball um, interactions and stuff. In terms of me, do I think that this cheating scandal it should? For me, I think these guys are not going to be like blackballed either. Uh, uh, I don't think it affects Beltran as a Hall of Famer for his uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame career, and I, I think yeah. he winds up getting in at some point. Um, I understand firing. 
I don't really care either way. Uh, if you're going to fire him, you have to do it somewhat quick so you can have a new coach put in place, a uh, manager put in place for the season. Um, I think the more interesting result of the firings and stuff is the Jeff Lunat one because he's a guy who actually built yeah. what was going on in Houston. He's considered this one of the sharpest minds in baseball. And um, I think that a losing team, maybe the Marlins, would have no problem bringing him in after a year or a couple years come Especially down. under the radar. Nobody's going to be mad at the Marlins. Right. <laughs> um, and, yeah, if you're the Marlins, maybe you want that publicity. <laughs> right, yeah. Anything to get, you know, asses in seats. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, so I could see I could see some so, – uh, I, I, think, I think he gets a job. I think Hinch probably gets a job at some point. If the rumored three years for Alex Cora comes down, I think he just moves away from Major League Baseball and goes – Completely to like the Latin leagues or something like that, or back into what well, he was in the uh, he was doing announcing or, or, or in, right or, or into a booth play by play. ESPN ESPN can bring him in. He yeah. can he can come in, say he's sorry, you know, give give one uh, speech, whatever, and then they'll plug him right into their to their production. They don't care. Yeah, no, and, and that could be a good fit, especially if you see like that Tony Romo contract was between ten and fourteen million dollars a year. Yeah, uh, obviously there, there's there's a life after baseball for for some of those guys. Yeah, did you see? Um, um, speaking of Romo, did you see Peyton Manning's about to be the highest paid person at ESPN? Is he? He's, he's what? Good. How much? Um, I, I didn't see the number, but I know that like more, guys, more than that Romo number. Well, well, guys like Stephen A. or um, or I think he's up around ten million a year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's Peyton. They brought in so much money with Peyton's places from good. from ESPN Plus and all the extra perks of all that. He's getting ready to blow that out of the water. He's a he's a weirdly likable guy. Um, I think he has like amazing comedic timing. If we're being like a fucking Frankenstein monster, yeah. Uh, he he's he's a really interesting guy. And again, like we just talked about the HDH thing, there were like some pretty pretty strong anecdotal kind of. Uh, it wasn't the best uh, evidence ever. Obviously, it didn't go anywhere, but there was some evidence around it that he was using steroids. And he's got that whole lawsuit thing that happened from his time in college, exactly. where he sexually assaulted exactly. uh, a trainer that basically got hushed down because his dad is who he is. Right. And this this every few years it seems to let's be rear honest. He's at Tennessee. It's not exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a second tier. Every few years it, it seems to rear its head. Um. At the time, Tennessee was not a second tier program. They were one of the top programs yeah, in the country because of him. Um. His package well, fell sure, out of his shorts. Also, what do you want? But also, they, they won they won a, a, a national championship immediately after him. And even before his time there, it was a storied program. They have hundreds of thousand plus seats, sure. old Rocky Top, et cetera, all that other stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, Tennessee was, they've gone down since then. They um, had, uh, which one? They, it was a T. Martin that they had? Yeah, T. One Martin. Of, uh, one and, of the Brady Six. And, and, Peerless, <laughs> and Peerless Price. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They beat Florida State, actually, in the national championship nice. game that Speaking year. Speaking of secondary when, schools. When, Flo- <laughs> when, when Florida State lost Chris Winkie due to a neck injury by, um, I think it was Kerr from Virginia. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but I, I, I mean, honestly, like, uh, Patriots fan my entire life, I, there's, I'm supposed to, like, hate Manning because I love Brady. No. But I, I always like, I always like Peyton. Uh, even though there was all that extra stuff, like again, like just he's a funny guy. He's just a likable guy. Uh, to me, he's like the anti Aaron Rodgers. I hate everything about Aaron Rodgers. I think he's just so smug and, and just annoying. And uh, sorry, dude. The, speaking the, of leave, smug, leave the leave the Fu Manchu alone. Speaking of smug, did you guys catch the Joe Burrow stuff after the national championship? Loved game? it. Loved yeah. every second of it. The cockiness. Honestly, is... I'm I'm super excited because he's like low key boring cocky. Like you see spurts of it, but like his overall demeanor is like just really neutral. Um, is that one of the best 
like this, I think it's kind of a highlight of like the next pairing of NFL quarterbacks that are going to come on the scene and, and really just own the NFL. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I thought the national championship was great. I, I loved you know the fact that we got these two matchups of these undefeated teams. Yeah, um, Clemson coming in hadn't lost a game in two years. Right. Uh, Trevor Lawrence hasn't lost a game. Right. Well, now he has. But yeah, he he and he's Had he's it, yeah. rejected number one pick for next year's draft and. Pretty much, he was the number one player coming out of high school. Like, yeah. It was him and Justin Fields were considered the number two, one and two quarterbacks. And next year's draft class for quarterbacks is really good as well. You know what's interesting? Talk about a guy like Trevor Lawrence. How often, how often does a guy run the table where he was? He came out of high school highly regarded. He kept it up in college. He was a number one pick. Like that almost never happens. Yeah, it, it's pretty rare. Oftentimes, the guy who's projected to be the number one pick in the NFL draft gets picked apart. Right. Um, and that hurts their standing. I remember Deshaun Watson uh, after his bout with Alabama, where he almost won the national championship, whatever, and then yeah. wins the national championship the next year. Um, people were before before the season after he when he had the the near loss against Alabama. People were like, oh, yeah, this is the number one pick, right? Hands this is, yeah. is going to be the number one pick in next year's draft. Um, and then the season unfolds, and he winds up falling, and they wind up actually taking Mitch Trubisky number two, Chicago <laughs> Bears. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he falls and, and whatever. But, yeah, so they often pick apart the, num- the guy who's projected to be the number one quarterback. It hurts their standing, and they just look for weaknesses. Um, but to me, Trevor Lawrence is a guy who's he still has some development to do. Sure. But he looks really good, and he looks like he's a franchise-altering quarterback. And you can tell he's getting that through his progressions, and a little bit better of an athlete than I think a lot of people realize, uh, as far as his yeah. ability to run. It's, uh, I think he showed that the the in the semifinals round with that long run he had. Burrow as well, and, though. And he's just strong. Like he had he had a couple plays where he like broke away, and then on the run threw an absolute laser. Yeah. Um, the the one the specific play I'm thinking of, like one hop to the the tight end across the middle, because I, I think. I don't know if he didn't like break off the route the way he's supposed to. It yeah. seemed like he was out of position, um, but it was it was a missile. Yeah, of a he, bad platform. He, he's a big, strong dude, yeah. and he can run. And he can, he's mobile. He can throw on the run. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, let's let's actually dive into the game for a second, sure. shall we? Yeah. So, um, what, what were your thoughts leading into it? I know Marcus expressed some thoughts with me a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you know, I, I was really torn because LSU is just a team that I really haven't gotten to see much of so i really didn't believe the hype until you know the semifinals um they were they're fantastic yeah um i've always been kind of torn on clemson um specifically because they don't play anyone all year long and you know when you're a good team you know obviously when it gets down to uh, crunch time uh you can perform but the way lsu did it this year week in and week out week in week out um and 60 touchdown passes in the sec against what, what was it four top five teams this year mm-hmm. um it's it's unbelievable and i i think it should be against the law to <laughs> <laughs> i i don't think if you play for an animal mascot in college i don't think you should be able to do it in the pros um and <laughs> you know and th- there's a lot of players when they come out of college i'm really i don't believe in the hype um i.e dwayne haskins but uh, i hate to say it but i'm really nervous to see Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. I'm, I'm very impressed with him. And um, they actually have a, I mean, the team itself, but it's awesome. But Joe Burrow is, uh, he's impressed me a lot. And, I, and I'm not a fan of Trevor Lawrence, you know. And yeah. so, so that's where I'm at with as far yeah. as that goes. So I think the thing that we have to look at with these games is th- these teams were both really loaded with talent. Clemson yeah. has elite players at pretty much every starting position. Um, 
you know, this ridiculous quarterback and five-star receivers on the outside, but LSU has this ridiculous quarterback and these stud-wide receivers, and they showed up big. Clemson's uh, Clemson's wide receivers, you know, they actually struggled with one of their shutdown corners on one of the sides of the field. Um, T. Higgins actually left the game for a moment, and Justin Ross wasn't able to step up and help out. And then on the other side, uh, LSU's receivers were just torching that secondary, which their secondary was really good yeah. and has a lot of really good players in it for Clemson, but they were just getting smoked. I don't, I mean, I, they run the ball. Well, it was just, I mean, I, I, I had a, it's not exactly, you know, a bold prediction to, to be confident in LSU going into that game. I thought they're going to have issues. Uh, Clemson was going to have issues covering them. Just to your point, the wide receiver talent, and then to have Thaddeus Moss, like at the tight end position is, is just a mismatch for, let's be honest, college linebackers. Um, typically aren't well-rounded enough to be good run support players and pass uh, coverage players. Very rarely, yeah. Very rarely. So to have somebody that athletically gifted at the tight end position is just a ridiculous mismatch. And he's, he's just a big wide receiver. If they weren't so loaded at wide receiver, he could easily play wide receiver. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I think for his size, it's, it's probably better to be a tight end. Oh, On the NFL sure. level, what he's going to be able to do at tight end he could be kind of a a la Kittle style, uh, Eric Kelsey style, yeah. Catching the football. Um, yeah. So th- that'll be interesting to, to continue to watch his development. Um, a lot of these players are turning pro after this game, yep. um, and which we've is good that, because they which, were all handed money on their way out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, specifically, I, I remember seeing Jordan Jefferson being handed money by yep. OBJ. What the hell is he thinking? The he's, he's not. dumbest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and I get like the, the so. Here's my thing, and, and I, I even like from an alma mater standpoint, like that's not your championship, dude. Like you haven't been there in years. That's a bunch of other like they're 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 young men. They're you know they're, obviously they're adults, but they're fucking twenty one years old. You're you're Odell Beckham Jr. Um, you play for the Browns. Like what, what's going on? Like why are you why are you so excited that you're handing cash out when you know is an NCAA violation? I do like to see alma maters like players supporting their their their, their teams. You know, hundred um, percent. But that's and, like another level. Yeah, you do, you don't need to be physically handing money. I mean, Jordan Jefferson, one of the guys that he handed it to, or or uh, he actually is going pro anyway, so it's not going to affect him. This is after the fact, you know, whatever, et cetera. Yeah. He can hand money to whoever he wants at this point. Uh, somebody, I saw somebody being like, "Oh, I hope Joe Burrow wasn't gifted that cigar that he was smoking." It's yeah. like his his eligibility's sure. over. He's yeah. not an elf, he's not a college player anymore. Like, right. uh, it doesn't matter if he was handed. You can hand him whatever you want. Um, he's going to be handed a lot of money by his agent before he ever signs an NFL contract because the agent knows that that money's going to get back to him right. as a loan. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, I, I love the swag though, and and here's the thing, an interesting thing: the guys named Joe that are quarterbacks of the NFL. <laughs> there's been I think four that have won um, Super Bowls, I believe. Joe Namath, yep. Joe Montana, Joe Flacco. <laughs> I mean, his the, name is Joe. Did Th- Thyssen win one? No. Joe Thyssen, yes, he sure did. Before his leg blew up? For the Redskins, he absolutely did win a Super Bowl. So, yeah, yeah. Joe is a good name for uh, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. There you go, That's Bengals. <laughs> That's interesting. So what do you think, too? So so not only did the charades with OBJ start on the field, uh, they also carried in the locker room where... Probably right to the showers. He, <laughs> where he physically assaulted a, an on-duty police officer who was uh, confronting... First of all, the, the cop seemed like an asshole. And like confronting a player who obviously wasn't smoking marijuana in the locker room. Like, 
even if he was, who cares? Exactly. But let's be honest. Like, do you think he was? Like, let's be. Let's, you you let's think? Be real you here. think there's anyone in New Orleans who's not smoking marijuana right. outside the stadium or something like that? No. The guy. The guy is just. I don't know what the hell his deal is. Uh, the the official or the 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 guy who's like t- the the cop who's trying to tell Joe Burrow he can't smoke a cigar inside right. the stadium. Uh, Tom Benson used to do all kinds of weird shit inside that stadium, dude. Yeah. Take a, take a chill pill. Relax. They just won a national championship. You're you're there for protection, not to yep. harass the players. Exactly, but but then OBJ smacks the guy in the ass and then is like staring, like dancing in front of him, like just no. How is the least mature person in the room the eight year NFL veteran? How does that happen? Maturity is not is not <laughs> linear. I know that Cleveland Browns are rubbing off on him. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, now that we're on the NFL here, transitioning to the NFL. What about the new the new hirings? Are there any any new hirings you like? Any that you think are just kind of out of left field? Well, uh, so obviously st- we have some college coaches transitioning to the NFL. Yeah. So to start with that, um, that offense for LSU, as good as it was, is losing maybe the two biggest important factors, which is Joe Burrow and Joe Brady, who was brought in to be the offensive passing game coordinator, uh, kind of an offensive coordinator, brought the system from the Saints, and really that's what took that team to another level. He gets hired. Uh, by the Carolina Panthers to be the offensive coordinator under Matt Rule, who was hired away from Baylor to be the head coach. So what do you think about the Rule hiring? From everything I've understood about Matt Rule as, as a coach, he's super – he's great at building programs, right? He has a history from at Temple. He took, takes over Baylor uh, from the cheating scandal issues and stuff and builds his program to competing for a Big 12 title and potentially a trip to the college football playoff. Sure. Um, in his third year, which is pretty impressive, he was, I mean, he was floated as potentially being a Jets head coach, a Jets head coach last off season. Okay. Um, but apparently the Jets didn't want to let him hire all of his own personnel. They wanted to instill some personnel on him, which that's the Jets for you. Right. Um, and that's why Rule turned it down. The Giants really, really wanted Matt Rule. Um, so the fact that the Panthers got in there first and hired him away, uh, good on the Panthers. Good. So far, bringing in Joe Brady sounds like it looks like it's a win. Um, I think he's going to put together a really good staff, and I think he could take that team where they want to go. But they gave him a seven-year contract. They do not see this as a short-term rebuild. This is, I see, and I like that from my perspective. I don't think you should be doing what the Browns. I mean, obviously, you shouldn't be doing anything the Browns do. But from a Browns perspective, if you're rotating a guy in and out every one or two years. You have a mixed match, even from a personnel standpoint. I come in, I am a coach, the guy that I'm able to hire, a defensive coordinator wants to play a 3-4 defense. We draft for a 3-4 defense. We try to transition any players that are on the roster if we can. If not, we try to jettison some players, do some, make some trades. Obviously, the return on that, you usually lose a trade when you're making uh, you have a brand new coach, you have a brand new GM, whatever the situation is there. You're probably going to lose some value in, in trading away guys to get guys that fit your system. You let that guy coach for one or two years, bring in another guy. So let's say he runs a, a four three. What do you do with all the talent that you just brought in at a, at a lost at a discounted rate? What do you, how do you handle your draft? You just have a mixed match of, of, of players, and I, I like the idea of a, of a team committing to a guy for a long term and saying, "Hey, we know this is going to take time. We know we're in a rough shape right now. Let's rebuild this the right way." If you're taking on that job, does your rebuild include Cam Newton? I would say no, um, but before I dive into that, I do. I think I think four years is an acceptable number. Um, yeah, I, seven's I, a little high. Four, it, I like. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, th- I think, but I think you have to give a coach 
at least three, but more like four to see what's going to happen. You know, the, the long-term commitment. Um, Carolina, no. Um, I think it's time to, you know, they, they can they can package that cam with uh, with that with their number one pick and move up. Yeah. Um, if they don't think they have the uh, quarterback of the future, which Kyle Allen's not it. I still like Will Greer over him, but um, you know, there's uh, there's some rumblings that uh, Cam in the number one for the number one overall pick is a possibility. So who do you take number one overall if you're trading up into Joe Burrow territory? Do you take Joe Burrow? Do you do you go with with somebody else and and or do you not maybe go all the way to one and, and try to write out? I mean, they have Will Greer, who I wanted really bad in New England. Um, I'm not convinced that he's not a starting NFL quarterback. Yeah, um, but then I'm again, not convinced he is. I'm not convinced he is necessarily. But do you see what you have there, or do you go ahead and just dump the capital on on a Joe Burrow? Well, I, I like him there. You have a couple options um, if you're confident enough in the quarterbacks, and this obviously is going to come down to uh, to rule here. But um, you know, you could you could even move cam for a first round pick and you know maybe start looking at a mic to replace luke keekley uh that's going to be a huge loss for the panthers um you know he's anchored him down for so long um but i think i think if if you do have a taker um you know, maybe maybe even look at uh you know a bad team as next year's first round um you know not, not the 2020 draft but you know if, if you can finagle a yeah. way to get a high pick in the 2021 draft sure that, then you could be looking at an option Gamble of a little bit for fields or lawrence's and you know if, if you can you know give that up you know you could be looking at some you know a face of the franchise because i'm a big believer in justin fields as well um but i think i think there's going to be two fantastic quarterbacks coming out of next year's draft that will maybe not be as good as uh you know the mahomes deshaun set but they're going to they could be damn close. Yeah, I think that's it's a good point. Um, and I, I'm, sometimes I don't like when guys just look off their roster um, and, and think that, oh, you know, a big flashy draft pick's the answer. I think it was really weird when Arizona cut on Josh Rosen. I thought that you don't really know what you have there. And, and that, that guy, I feel terrible for him. He hasn't had a, a fair shot at being an NFL quarterback. I know what you have there. He's terrible. <laughs> but I, two, two teams have given up on him, basically. So th- Yeah, that, but, that, it's, that, it, but it's the Cardinals and the Dolphins. So right. I don't necessarily trust their judgment. <laughs> and that's a fair point. Um, he Maybe maybe he's the answer for New England. Uh, he, he just went for a second yeah. pick. What, what could you get him for this year yeah, in the draft? I'd be down. Uh, maybe a third or a fourth or something of that nature. Um, in terms of the Cam Newton getting traded thing, I don't think a team is really going to give you a first round pick for Cam Newton. Okay. So swap your swap, swap your one. So Pan- Panthers in a fourteen or wherever they're at. Uh, I, I, if I'm the Bengals, I'm still not doing that. Yeah, I mean, um, something to look into. It, uh, if I'm, I, I'm probably not giving up a first round draft pick for Cam Newton. Period. Um, trading down ma- makes a little more sense depending on where you're coming from. Um, I think at the end of the day, Cam Newton is probably going to be the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers at least for this next season, at least the beginning of the season. Yeah. Um, but we know that Luke Keekley's not going to be playing linebacker. So let me get some thoughts on you on, on Luke Keekley's retirement and and the whole thing. He, I mean, he's he's really 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 good uh, linebacker, and he's retiring before he ever plays down after age thirty. Twenty eight years old. Um, like I said, he, he's been a staple. Um, whenever they've been struggling the last couple of years, he's been the consistent piece to make that defense. And they were terrible on defense this year. Um, you know, just like they, the team was uh, looking as if McCaffrey wasn't going to be there, how bad they would be. If when Keekley's not there, that would have been that that could have been one of the worst defenses in all of the NFL. Yeah, I, I, 
just the I'm glad he retired. Um, even if you're even close to being on the fence as far as your mental health and, and your your brain health, um, I'm glad he retired. Seeing him come off the field in in tears, yeah. and you're thinking, man, like oh ACL, no concussion. I've never seen a guy in tears over a concussion before. Mm-hmm. Like just to know, just the mental space that has to put you in, and just knowing like from a, from experience, like what a concussion feels like. Scary. And, and if it's if that's driving you to tears, and it's it's like it's not something you can really get away from. It's I'm glad he's he's out. And I honestly like I think he's done enough. I, I think he it's a Hall of Fame career. Five year All Pro to me. Five year All Pro. I don't care. For five year first team All Pro select. I don't care if you play five years. If you're five team All Pro, you're in in my book. That the way I, I I like the guys peak. I don't. I'm not a big fan of these the guys. You know, stat compilers. Uh, obviously, I, I think that there's you can go both ways with it. I can appreciate the peak out element, and then I can also appreciate a guy for the longevity because it does take something to be able to play as long as they yeah, do. It takes and, something. It takes genetic luck to, to have a body that didn't break down, or to have a team that didn't use you inappropriately. I mean, or to have a good also, training staff, and also you, you put in the work. Yeah, right. No, there's definitely obviously you work to, to play in the league that long, and it's it's a grind. But if you are never, we'll use a perfect example: Frank Gore. Plays yeah. forever, was never a top three running back in any right. year. That's yeah. not a Hall of Fame career to me. I don't care if he ends up first in the rushing yards. That's not a Hall of Fame career. He was never a top three running back. Not, so to me, I, like, I want somebody to be the top for right. a period of years. Yeah. Um, and he just never was. So then you look at the opposite again. like A guy like Rob Gronkowski, a guy like Luke Keekley, Guys that played short careers, shortened by injury, but were the best at their position for multiple years. They get in. Yeah. Um. So I've been watching Luke Keekley since his first, since he was playing at Boston College. An his freshman year is Boston College. Yep. And when you said it's rare for a college linebacker to be able to cover and also tackle and, and the run game and the, and the receiving game, he was that guy. For sure. He was a monster. He was all over the field. Uh, he used to wear glasses. He was like a Superman. Uh, they used to like give him like Superman whatever monikers and images, memes and stuff at the time. Not that they were actual memes, but the, <laughs> whatever memes the, used to be. B- what before memes? <laughs> what, what what it was? Yep. Um, and Luke Kuechly actually was like he was recruited as a safety out of high school. Um, and then they were like, hey, we need help at linebacker, and this guy can do it. He's a little undersized at the time, but. Man, did he grow into it. And then, yeah. you know, I think the Bucks actually, during that draft, I really wanted him. Um, but he did, he went just ahead of where they traded down to in, in that year's draft. Um, the Bucks wound up taking Mark Barron, and that hasn't worked out as well. But Luke Keekley, uh, his his numbers are right in line with Patrick Willis. And I, for me, they're both Hall of Famers. Uh, so you, Another both, guy. Short career both, was the best of his position for a period of time. Both, Not only that, but Madden stud. Yeah. Oh my God. Bo- both top ten picks. Both Him a- and Bowman over there. AP oh, yeah. Defensive Rookie of the Years. Um, both NFL Defensive of the Years. Uh, yep. That's Players of the Year. He had 150 um, eight, tackles three times. Eight total seasons, seven Pro Bowl selections, and five seasons All-Pro for both of them. Yep. To me, they're, they can walk hand-in-hand in hand into the Hall of Fame because those, those are pretty much the exact same statistics. I agree. 100%. 100%. No, and you talk about uh, you know you brought up Gronkowski and uh, his short career and being on top. Did you see his uh, his uh, Twitter response to Keekley? I did. Oh man, I couldn't I couldn't ask for much more out of that guy. Yeah. So if you if you didn't see it, basically he's like, hey, you know, great job in a career. You definitely it's smart to walk away when you know it's time. Uh, by the way, when are you coming back? <laughs> <laughs> kind of poking fun at you know yeah. the the barrage of Twitter responses he gets anytime he posts anything yeah. about when is he going to come back and play. Um, yeah, well played on his just part. Just be done, guys. Just be done. And Gronk is is dumb and, and affable as he can be. Uh, super smart guy with his money. 
he's going to be financially just okay. Like, yeah, looking forward to seeing him next week at Gasparilla. Yeah. Um, oh, is that next week? Yeah. 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 So uh, he has a house down here in Tampa, um, and he he used to come here whenever the Patriots weren't in the Super Bowl. So now I expect him to be there every year. He might even be the. Who knows? He might be the one leading the parade at some point in yeah, time in the near future. Yeah, uh, Gronk Beach or whatever down in Miami coming up too. Uh, Gronk, Gronk Cruise. Yep, Gronk Cruise, <laughs> Gronk everything. All right. Um, you know, we, so we, we talked a little bit about about Carolina. We, we can transition to some of the other ones. What do you think about? We'll, we'll, we'll focus in. Obviously, uh, if you follow our page, and it's probably the only way you're hearing this, uh, <laughs> you saw how hard we went on to the Cowboys. Uh, the whole Jason Garrett thing, obviously. Like writing on the wall for months was really good for us because we knew it was coming uh, so, and everybody knew it was coming. So we got to joke about it before it even happened. And then obviously when it happened, really awkward breakup with him. Like uh, not, he's like the, the, the guy or girl you dump and refuses to be dumped. It's like, no, we're not broken up. Uh, he was like still pleading for his job after they announced that they hired Mark, Mike McCarthy. Um, so what do you guys think about the McCarthy hire? Um, I, I thought it was a slam dunk, A-plus for Dallas. Good for you. Um, especially with Jerry there, you, you want someone who's been there. Um, with that team, you want someone who's proven to be a winner, and he's he's had a heck of a career. Um, you know, the only thing that kind of annoyed me, really, with that hire is, you know, obviously, you know, with uh, with the Rooney rule, they, uh, you know, you have the interview, my, uh, you know, minorities for your spot. Um, and they brought in uh, Marvin Lewis, um, you know, and, and everyone's kind of like mad that it wasn't Lewis, or they're making a mockery. But hey, no one wants Marvin Lewis on their team. I, I mean, if, if you if you hire him, you're failing as a as a owner, um, a GM, uh, both in Dallas's case. Um, but McCarthy is. I think I thought he was the perfect hire. Um, Cleveland, you know, could have used someone like him to help. You know keep everyone um under the reins and i know we're going to talk about their terrible hire here shortly but hmm. um but good job dallas yeah i, I thought so too I, I was a big fan of what they did and especially if you look at their their personnel situation they have the ability to throw a franchise tag on Dak and kind of punt that decision for another year so you bring in a guy who knows how to coach quarterbacks mm -hmm. and you can really see what is the ceiling on Dak. i mean obviously jason garrett uh was a quarterback but isn't necessarily known for developing quarterbacks right uh, at the same level, especially not Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy's the the upper level, upper echelon when it comes to developing quarterbacks, as far as uh, what his his perception and his kind of yeah. We've seen guys who are backups for them leave and you know to great success and Matt Damon. Know. I'm sorry, Matt Flynn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think to to put in another year. Obviously, he's a good coach, quality coach. Uh, if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers running him out, he'd probably still be up there in in Green Bay. But it lets you see what do we have with Dak, and then make an informed decision next year to not only cut him and or you know walk away from the relationship, but no, when you bring in another young quarterback, you got a guy to develop him. Yeah, I definitely think it's a it's a step up in terms of where you where you were with Jason Garrett uh, to Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy, for all of his faults, and he does have plenty of faults. Don't get me wrong. Um, he he had he had plenty of success. Uh, throughout that team they and I mean if you look at some of those Packers teams there's some pretty lean talent it was a lot of Aaron Rodgers and that offense and interchangeable wide receivers etc so McCarthy does deserve some credit for that um, he needs to run the ball more now that he's in Dallas you have a big offensive line 
that you've invested a lot of money into and a running back that you've invested a lot of money into. So you need to, you need to focus on the run, which he will get away from the run sometimes. It's, it's a knock on him. But with a good defensive defensive coordinator hire, um, I think Cow the Cowboys should actually be a little bit better and more consistently good instead of some of these up and down it's, mediocre it's seasons that they've been having over the course in, of the In our last position, year. it's frustrating because obviously we love to make fun of the Cowboys whenever we can. And this was a really good hire. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little disappointing. Well, you, you know, I know <laughs> he, got, he, he does like to get away from the run, but you, you also got to understand at that time you had Aaron Rodgers in his prime. And they, it's not like they had like an all pro running back. And we, we all know how much Aaron Rodgers was fat crying and complaining and, you know, fat, fat, cheeseburger Eddie. <laughs> um, you know, Rodgers complaining, you know, and you know he wanted to sling the ball. Um, you know, there's definitely a period of time where Rodgers was all about me, me, me. Um, you know, I think McCarthy, and, you know, it could match really well with today's Aaron Rodgers, who's a little more, um, let's win, let's get this team win. Um, but Dallas is a legit contender with Mike McCarthy at the home. So last year, one thing that I noticed about Mike McCarthy particularly, I think they were playing Arizona, and Arizona had the worst rush defense in the NFL um, by a large margin. And I think Aaron Jones had all of like six carries or something in that game. Uh, so he does get away from it in terms of, especially for where, what the hell yeah. is the game plan for that game? Right. This is a bad defense. We need to run the ball. That needs to be part of the game plan. So the fact that you don't give this guy any carries to me, that that's a misstep, and he and he still does that. Um, I'm sure he'll do that while he's in uh, working for Jerry down there in Jerry's world. Yeah. But you know, anyway, let's uh, let's take a step, move on to the next head coach, which came out of completely left field. Uh, the New York Giants hired Joe Judge, special teams coach and wide receiver, or special teams coordinator and wide receivers coach for the New England Patriots. Um, it was mostly reported across ESPN's bottom line that he was their wide receivers coach. A lot yeah. of people had never heard of him and were like, who the hell is this guy? Why did the Giants hire him? They haven't even met with McDaniels. They haven't met, they didn't get to meet with Rule because he got hired earlier in the day. Who the heck is this guy? So I'm going to turn to the Patriots fan. <laughs> Tell me about Joe Judge. So, so Joe Judge, um, obviously being a special teams coach, huge part of, of how New England has won over this last uh, two decades. A lot of their, their game plan and even, you know, obviously the benefit of having Tom Brady is is an advantage over pretty much any team they play. But if you really look at their point differential and the, and the yardage they pick up on special teams over the last 20 years, it's, it's amazing. And for him to continue that legacy as his, his time as a special teams coach, um, he did a really good job. The, the Patriots had one of the best special teams in the league this year. Um, but they've been top 10 unit for the last the entire time he was there. Then they were top five unit last three years. And you look at the vein and, and that kind of idea of, of what a special teams coach is. They manage a lot of different moving pieces, guys who have different responsibilities. They're only getting a portion of their, their attention. They're trying to maximize the most uh, effective game plan with guys who they only get for a few plays a game and pulling together units from, from different areas. And it's, it's really concept driven. Um, and typically those guys transition really well into the head coaching space. You look at Harbaugh with, with the Ravens. He was a special teams coach before taking over uh, as the head coach there. So I think you take something like that, uh, the, the fact that that tenure or, or that position or, or role has transitioned well. You look at the coaching tree uh, as far as coming up under Bill Belichick, and we know that the, the, the relationship between Belichick and the Giants organization is deep. And Nick Saban, uh, back right. in college, he actually coached under Nick Saban, exactly. special teams coordinator uh, so he's, he's, for for Alabama. So if, if if that's somebody you're in the meeting room with on a regular basis, he's, he's learned from some two really good guys. <clears throat> Again, the relationship there goes deep. Um, I 
I mean, he had to just kill the interview. Like, just absolutely destroy the interview. Um, everybody was talking about him in that, that first press conference around his concept about putting guys in the right position to play. Uh, obviously, Belichick's been saying that for, for 20 years, and, and that's nothing new or different that we've heard. Um, but it's good just to see somebody in a Giants hat come out and say, hey, we're going to put guys in the best position to, to win. Uh, and then you take on and inherit some pieces. I, I'm a big, I, 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 contrary to what I thought Daniel Jones was going to be, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, obviously, Saquon Barkley is, is a, an absolute stud. There's some work that they need to do to rebuild that. But I, I think a young team like that, you start with special teams, what they have on offense, and you can build the defense kind of as you go. Yeah, so for me, um, one, another another special teams coach that's done really well as a head coach in the NFL is this guy by the name of Bill Belichick. Have you ever heard of him? Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, Bel- Belichick is a special teams guru. He's a guy who loves the special teams, and the fact that he em- employed this guy as a special teams coach and, and you know, that says a lot about him. Um, he did have a lot of success yep. as New England special teams coordinator, um, and I do agree with you. Special teams, that's kind of like a like a like a maybe like a money ball aspect of things like you can actually get a special teams head coach coach and give them these opportunities yeah and they can do really well we've seen success out of it and they're they're guys that don't because they're background special teams they don't have the tendency to step on their offensive yeah. defensive coordinator they yeah. let them coordinate right yeah so um i'm not a big dave gettleman fan uh i think he's a pretty bad gm i don't know how you survived this but to be honest. uh i think i think this is actually a really good hire for yeah. them um i was impressed in his interview he talked about he talked about uh, personnel as being wanting to be a focus for his team, um, and I think that's that's really the way you want to go with that. Like personnel is much more important. If you look at what New England does compared to other teams, and he talked about this in his interview, it's hey, what does this guy do well? Let's put him in a position in which they can do that for us, right? So I think that more teams taking that look and doing that is going to be beneficial. Um, I'm still not necessarily sold on Daniel Jones. I think he's probably, he could be a good quarterback. He, he needs some development. I'm not saying that he can't get there, but right now he's still kind of mediocre. He he does do some weird things, and he was only a rookie last year, so we don't have a lot of tape on him, and we don't have you know yeah. enough to make a, make a decision. But um, there's something to work with for sure. Yeah, I mean, look at like a perfect example that Kyle Van Noy, they got for a seven-pick ra- seven improvement in the, the sixth round. Right. With the Lions, they they move. They only move back. New England only moved back seven picks to pick up Kyle Vannoy, put him in position to be successful, and he was a big part of of the last two years as far as what they were able to do. So, how about the guy that um that did not get an opportunity to enter for this job, Josh McDaniels, being kept by the Patriots, uh, and then he goes to the Browns, and you think that you know the Browns, it's a no brainer for them to hire him, but he doesn't get the job. Um, so Belichick kind of didn't allow him to go interview until the end of the week, uh, which is weird. Um, I saw a take that said maybe Bill Belichick just really wants Josh McDaniels. He doesn't want to let him go. Whereas, oh, you want my special teams coordinator? Sure, have him. But I'm keeping McDaniels. Um, and then the Browns, Los Browns, oh my God, what the hell, uh, Kevin Stefanski. And he puts up this massive, great performance in the hmm. divisional round with Minnesota Vikings um, and gets hired, right? Yeah. Uh, the McDaniels thing, I still there's still a closed-door agreement for him to be... He's the heir apparent in New England. Nobody will convince me of anything else. Uh, it's the only reason he, he basically got off the plane to Indianapolis to take the Colts job. Hmm. Um, nobody's going to convince me of anything else. And... The fact that the people are talking about, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around it. Uh, oh, he wasn't allowed to interview until later in the week. Oh, he's already putting a staff together. And then one of his, his guys that was allegedly on his staff got hired somewhere else. I'm like, 
these things, this is, this is a, a it's propaganda. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he is the heir apparent when Belichick moves on. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Belichick goes and coaches somewhere else. If, if Judge flames out in New York, he goes back to the Giants. He loves the Giants. Like, to, if you saw the Bill and Bill special, uh, or Two Bills, or whatever the hell it was called, mm-hmm. he loves the New York Giants. Yeah. Uh, like, I can't imagine he finishes his career without going back there at some point. Um, but Even after the Super Bowl losses to them? Even after the Super Bowl losses to them, which is weird, too. That both of the Super Bowl losses were to, uh, well, the first two. It maybe threw to, them. Yeah, I, I don't know what that was all about. <laughs> I mean, granted, they got pressure with four, uh, which is how you stop Tom Brady. But, and then, the yeah, the Browns do the most Browns thing ever. And hire a guy who's coming off a bad showing who they passed on last year for Freddie Kitchens. And then take a second stab at him, who's like the same guy that they just fired, basically, in Freddie Kitchens. It's just the most Browns move ever to, to hire the same guy two years in a row. Well, you know, <laughs> I love it, Cleveland. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of, the, one of the things that I really am laughing about now is in that uh, divisional game, uh, Niners were just dominating uh, the Vikings in the trenches on both sides. But uh, when Minnesota's on offense, Stepanski, um, or Stefanski, um, you know they're running five wide splits when they're just when the Niners are just crushing them with four. It leaves nobody in, not even tight end help. Um, and I couldn't be more ecstatic that that's the guy who's going to be coaching in Cleveland. Yeah. So just for Cleveland's take on this, supposedly in their interview with McDaniel's, this is what I heard in terms of reported and stuff. Um, they said McDaniel's they they wanted to uh, have a guy in the booth sitting next to the offense coordinator, whoever's calling plays or whatever, uh, giving them data analytics. They wanted to be feeding him analytics, and McDaniels was absolutely not about that. The Browns, the Browns wanted to be able to pick certain members of his staff or support staff, and he was not about that. And that's ultimately why he turned it down, whereas supposedly Stefanski is willing to go with some of the data. Um, so, you know, the Browns have, have moved in this way. They, they, they picked Paul DePodesta, um, who's famous for Moneyball, um, and inserted him as you know an executive, and he wanted Stefanski last year. That was what yeah. was reported over Kitchens. Dorsey took Kitchens. Now Dorsey's gone. Kitchens is gone, and De Podesta gets his man in Stefanski. Um, I don't necessarily like the hire. I think that McDaniel's is a clear op- better option. But you know, hey, it'll work out maybe. Yeah. <laughs> or okay. you'll fire him after a year and move on. Yeah, we should start doing prop bets on who's going to be coaching the Browns in 2021. <laughs> So we'll, uh, we'll we'll get off the coaches and, and head into the, the, the on the field action. Uh, talk about the playoffs. So let's start. Uh, maybe we'll just do a quick recap of last round, and then we'll get into what the next round uh, looks like coming up. So why don't we just stay right there, stay on that game, and, and talk about the Vikings? Um, you know, it comes down to the trenches. Um, the Niners showed up. Um, I think they were one of they let's see they're one of two teams uh, that had buys that just didn't come out flat at all um they just handled business in the trenches and that's where they've made a living this year and you know they, they just made it a nightmare for the vikings offense and um you know which a few what we saw a lot this year uh, was inconsistent play on the defensive end of the ball for the vikings um and, you know that was the case um you know i guess just getting past breeze and the boys was enough for them because they didn't show up to play at all yeah, so Mike Shanahan is, for me, one of the best play callers in the NFL, um, and he's absolutely going to exploit all whatever you give him, and which, which he's done, you know, throughout his history, um, minus that incident in the Super Bowl a few years Harf. back, where he just decided to stop running the ball. 
he's he's usually really good at drawing up a running game. Um, yep. He puts his quarterbacks in good good situations, um, and they utilize the, the weapons that they have. I felt that Emmanuel Sanders lining up in the slot and trying to get Xavier Rhodes to cover him was a complete mismatch. They were able to work it, spread the ball around to different wide receivers. I thought Garoppolo looked pretty good. But, yeah, ultimately it comes down to the trenches. The defensive line for San Francisco is really good. There's a bunch of first-round draft picks on that defensive line, and there's perfect first-round draft picks on the offensive line. They've invested in the trenches, and that's a key area where you need to invest, and not enough teams do. And to me, that's why San Francisco has been as successful as they are. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys hit on all of it. There's really not much for me to add there. Um, obviously, the, the game's won in the trenches, and Bosa is, is just phenomenal. He's definitely, in my opinion, the best Bosa. Um, and I just think it's, it's hard for me to see somebody beat them because of how they're winning. And we'll, we'll transition to the next game, and, and we'll talk about a team that looked like they were running hot too. But I knew was beatable, um, and they ended up losing. So we, we go into Baltimore, and obviously they're running well. Everybody has them already anointed as the Super Bowl participant for the AFC. But they go up against a, a Tennessee team that was, that's running really well right now, probably playing their best football of the year. They're playing for each other. Uh, but there's two things, two factors that going in, I won't say, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I knew Tennessee was going to win, but I absolutely knew it was a possibility. I was telling people it's a possibility. Watch out. Uh, Baltimore's not as, as resilient or, or, or you know, invulnerable as people think they are. Um, it turns out that they are an incomplete football team. Um, I knew one of their weaknesses was Lamar throwing the football. If you force him to throw the football downfield, that's not a winning game plan. Yes, he's a, a, a ridiculous athlete. The way that they've built an, a team and a concept and a, an offense around him, I do think he will be successful for for the long a long term until he, if he starts taking hits and taking injuries. He's been pretty good about not taking big hits, so I'm not going to be one of those guys that, oh, he's a running quarterback, so he's going to get hurt and stuck. Um, that's been the, the rule, but there's always exceptions to everything. He seems to be smart about not taking contact. But the fact still remains, he is not an accurate passer of the football, especially mid to deep range. When you have to make those those third and fourteen conversions, he's not going to do it. The um, you know, I heard a a statement that you know, which was obviously related to the divisional round. Was there's a difference between a a quarterback who can run and a running quarterback? Obviously, comparing uh, Mahomes and um, and Jackson. Uh-huh. Um, one of my favorite things to watch this year is him throwing downfield you know who he reminds me of he's an athletic alex smith uh, <laughs> uh, a more athletic alex smith but i mean look, look at the tape guys um you know throwing it downfield once you start getting into that 15 yard range 12 15 yards and beyond if, if there's any coverage that ball is sailing I, I i was laughing as soon as he was dropping back t- uh, you know when they're down i was calling incomplete before that ball left his hands because we knew they were shooting it downfield um i hope obviously he'll never win a super bowl in baltimore but um you know past the fandom um i don't believe that that he will um you know he's, he's got a lot of work to do on the downfield balls um obviously the numbers are going to be there because he is just an athletic freak um, you know, but, um, yeah, very athletic, uh, Alex Smith. Yeah. So I wrote an article a few weeks ago. I don't know if you guys read it. If you haven't, it's worth checking out. Um, but the article was titled, the Baltimore Ravens are really good, but they won't win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and in that article, I pointed out the fact that 
Uh, they have a bunch of really good players, on, especially on the offensive line and in the running game. Mark Ingram did not play in this game, so that was a factor. But that the outside, they don't, they don't necessarily have good players outside, right? Marquise Hollywood-Brown is the only receiver that anybody thinks is any good on that team. Uh, Snead is not anything special or whatever. Um, and then Miles Boykin is also a rookie, etc. So what Dean Pease, who actually was a former Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator, who's now the Tennessee Titans defensive coordinator, did was he said, hey, we're going to stop the run and we're going to force Lamar to pass outside the hashes, right? Their tight ends are, were a focal point of the receiving game. And he said, we're going to take those away. Now, he did have a turnover that hit off of the hands of Mark Andrews and right into a, a safety's hands or whatever. Um, that was one of the crucial turnovers in that game because that was actually the most important turnover, in my opinion, because Baltimore was moving the ball pretty effectively down the field at that point. Um, the end of the day, I think that Baltimore's main weaknesses are they can be they can be solved a little bit. You need to get him more outside help, um, bringing in uh, either a good wide receiver, maybe Antonio Brown, to pair hmm. with his little cousin, the Marquise Brown, or somebody draft somebody, find somebody, trade somebody, whatever, another guy outside, um, and then they're linebacking core really miss cj mosley in this game derrick henry had a whale of a game he was a monster which he is um usually and that's consecutive games with over 150 rushing yards in the playoffs which is in three consecutive games over 180 yards uh if you count the last week of the season yeah the way he's running right now and you talk about playoff football guys nursing some injuries nobody's 100 percent um i have news for you nobody wants to tackle derrick henry in the fourth quarter yeah. Nobody. And and he and he's getting a ton of carries too. So they're just feeding him the rock and I mean, they don't want the game in Ryan Tannehill's hands any any more than anyone else does, but when you got Derrick Henry and he's running as effectively as he is and another team that has invested and and in in the trenches is Tennessee. That psychopath at um, left tackle, Taylor yeah, Lewan. Ta- Taylor Lewan, <laughs> you know, they they they've, they've put a lot of investment into that offensive line making it good. The difference between Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, uh I've I've been saying for years is the fact that the, the players around him and you look at the Titans and they're a really good team and with a a, a reasonable quarterback, a mediocre quarterback like Ron Tannehill, all you have to do the right game plan, and all of a sudden you can start winning some of these games and moving and advancing. Um, but I think it's we've talked enough about the the Ravens and the Titans here, so we'll we'll transition on to uh, the next game. Um, and what I really want to talk about is the Kansas City Chiefs uh, getting out to a 24 point deficit um, to Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans, and then with just under 11 minutes left in the second quarter, it was 20. It became 24 nothing. By the end of the second quarter, it was 28-24 Kansas City. Uh-huh. Your thoughts? That that was that was one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen. Um, I'd be pissed if I was a Texans fan. Um, man, Mahomes, he was. I think there was points they were down 24 nothing. He was still smiling. Talk about ice in the veins. That guy's gonna earn every penny that. Kansas City's going to send them, and I know I know they're not even playing with their uh, player option. They're they're going to extend them after this year. Uh, wait, they're going to skip that cheap year and just go for it, which they should. Yeah. So the the, the thing I noticed about the early part and in how they got down, they had a bunch of drops. Right, I counted at least five drops out of their players on the first three, four series or something, which led to you know what happened with Tennessee. Also. Or Houston, I'm sorry. Also, Houston gets a, a punt block that they return for a touchdown, which is a huge swing in momentum. Oh, yeah. And then they Houston makes the bold decision to try to go for it Terrible. on fourth down and Terrible. punt. Um, and 
Sorensen makes the tackle uh, just short. And, you know, some people are critical of it. Hey, maybe that's not a good spot to go for it. I like the aggressiveness. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think that's the reason that they lost the game, right? They, they did some other things in terms of managing that game that they mismanaged. And I thought Kansas City was the better team, and they came out ahead. And Sorensen forced a fumble on that ensuing kickoff, too. Yeah. Um, so some, some special teams plays are critical in that game, and they, they swung both ways. Um, Kansas City has really talented wide receivers. They have a good running game. Um, and, you know, their secondary is okay. I thought Teron Matthew had a pretty good game. They, they kind of mostly took away Hopkins. And, you know, th they advance. So. I'm just uh, – there's a very real reality or a very real opportunity for the, the Tennessee Titans to be in the Super Bowl. And it just it bothers me. Um, and again, it just goes to prove like it's the NFL. Anything can happen. The best team usually doesn't win the Super Bowl. Usually, they trip up somewhere. They they lose. Um, I mean, there's no way, even as a Patriots fan, that you can convince me that the Patriots were the best team in the NFL last year. The Rams were a way better team. They just got outplayed and outgame planned in the one game that mattered. And that's, I think, exactly what happened to the Ravens. They're still a better team than the Titans. Uh, the Patriots are a better team than the Titans, but they had a game plan. And if you run for 180 yards, you're going to win a lot of football games, yeah. um, especially with one guy. You talk about you know, cumulative team rushing over 200 yards. Like You're going to win a lot of games. You're shortening the, team, the, the game, putting a lot more uh, a lot more importance on your, your opponent's drives, which, you know, talk about a young guy in his first playoff game. Obviously, that got to him. So, Marcus, how do you see this matchup playing out between Tennessee and Kansas City next week? Um, so, I haven't looked at the lines yet, um, but I'm just going to go and throw it out now. Kansas City is going to absolutely roll the Titans uh, this weekend, and here's why. Um, so, in the earlier matchup this season, the Titans uh, beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I think it was in was it in Kansas City or is it in? I believe it was in Kansas City. Yeah. So um, once again, surprise, surprise. Um, Derrick Henry, I think he ran for uh, at least a buck fifty. I think they ran for two twenty as a team. Uh, they did catch a couple nice breaks, but um, can't, what's going to definitely be overlooked is Kansas City's run defense and their defense in general for the last the last four or five weeks of the season were. Um, pretty stout um that's a good front yeah you know they, they were stout kind of gluing together and i you know obviously it's going to look like you know they gave up a ton of points to uh to the texans but the texans were handed 21 points uh within a couple minutes um and it's really hard to beat a team twice on the road and uh, patrick mahomes is patrick mahomes um i i think this game is gonna actually get out of hand i guess i gotta check the spreads but i, I like kansas city to uh to put it on the Titans. So after looking, it was actually, game was played in Tennessee. Tennessee won 35-32. <clears throat> Derrick Henry had 188 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Uh, that's going to be the focus point for Kansas City in trying to stop the run and force Ryan Tannehill to beat you. So we'll see if they can, uh, you know, uh, effectively execute on that game plan. But I think Tennessee might have a hard time trying to score with Kansas City. If Kansas City's able to put some points on the board early, they could you know, take the ball out of out of Derrick Henry's hands a little bit. Um, Mahomes was 36 of 50 with 446 yards and three touchdown passes uh, during that first game, and another performance like that out of him, and I think they, they should get the job done. Um, but you did mention it. Special teams could become a factor. We saw Kansas City get a punt block last week. Um, they've had some kicks blocked, and especially in the Titans game. And, you know, the Titans have had some pretty good special teams performances so far in this postseason. So that could be the deciding factor in terms of swinging it one way or the other or like a secret sauce kind of element. But 
I still like Kansas City to win. Um, give me the better quarterback. Give me the better offense. Uh, and because I can trust that more. And then they're also got the benefit of playing at home this time. Yeah. Now Patrick Mahomes is gonna. He's he's hungry. Uh, he's definitely. I. Yeah, uh, they they were just talking about. Uh, he's talking about the the sting from the loss to the Patriots the previous year. You know, not getting an opportunity. Um, I now I'm not going to count the Titans out. Uh, I think Vrabel's going to have his team ready. They're going to be ready. There's just there's no argument there. But like I said, I'm just I'm going to follow Mahomes, the better team. Um, and I think they got their coming out flat out of the way. Yeah, so Kansas City, if there's any wide receivers for Kansas City or anybody from Kansas City's offense personnel listening, make sure you put extra stick on the gloves this week because we don't need to see all those drops again. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the last game from last week. Uh, Seattle going to Green Bay. I said going into this game, I thought being played anywhere other than Green Bay, I would take Seattle to win this game. Yeah. Um, but I liked it to be close, and Green Bay did wind up winning. Uh Thank you, Aaron Rodgers, and thank you, Devontae Adams, uh, pulling it off at the end there for them. Um, what were your thoughts, Derek? I'm the same way. I, I, I like Seattle anywhere but Green Bay. I still kind of thought they were going to pull it out up there. A little, little surprise, Green Bay um, won that one. And they're just, to me, not a very complete team. Um, offensively, I think they have everything they need. The they receiving core is probably a little weak, but Adams might be enough to by himself. Um, and Aaron Rodgers can throw pretty much anybody open, so it's not a huge issue. Uh, run game looks good, but again, uh, Aaron Rodgers gets the line. Does he call pass plays when he should be running the ball and, and want to put it more on his shoulders? We know he's got a little, a little bit of an ego to him. Uh, I'll put it nicely. Um, I just don't have confidence in their defense to get it done. I don't think there's enough there. I don't think they have enough to, to keep up. We'll, we'll look forward here, too, against, against San Francisco. But going into that game, Seattle just kind of fell short as far as the running game was was really disconjointed. Obviously, having a running back who was on his couch two weeks ago doesn't help. Um, defense just isn't as good as it was in their peak years. Obviously, there's there's not yeah, as I much think, in the I secondary. Think, I think that's the main part. Their, their secondary, secondary and their defense has is, is not been good enough. Yeah. They have some young players they are developing. They traded for digs from from Detroit and that helped for free but 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 they they do have you know they I saw some performances out of Seattle this year and I thought you could pass on them and yeah. Aaron Rodgers it, if he can pass on you he's going to so it was, it was a weird game for me going in because it's two of like the three quarterbacks I would never count out yep. um, with Russell and with Aaron Rodgers and then obviously the other one's Mahomes yeah. those are guys that you just don't count out um, so I was really curious I thought it was going to come down to the last possession kind of game um, close just yeah. Yeah, it, it it basically did. Yeah, with really that, close. With that can, um, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams connecting at the end of the game to keep the ball and prevent Seattle from getting another crack at it. Yeah, uh, I think that that would you know that decided the game. And if Russell Wilson gets that chance, I'm not convinced that he doesn't score to win the game. Right. So yeah, I'm the same way. Um, I don't. Again, this is one of those ones that probably didn't matter either way. I don't see anybody getting by San Francisco. Um, but we'll see. Well, so we, should we go into those predictions? Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna disagree. Um, I think Rodgers gets back to the Super Bowl. Um, I'm, I'm actually gonna take Green Bay here. They got th- throttled by the 49ers earlier this year. Um, you know, and I think that if if they need to, you know, he'll 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 throw that ball around. Um, they they should be watching some tape of, um, of the Niners both times they played the uh, the Cardinals this year. Um, the Niners, they're susceptible, and they came out gung-ho and ready. 
Um, I think they're going to come out a little more flat this week. Um, but I like I like Aaron Rodgers to uh, make his return to the Super Bowl, and uh, I can't wait to watch him cry after that. So you want a State Farm Super Bowl uh, commercial Super Bowl with uh, Rodgers versus Mahomes with nothing but State Farm commercials the entire Super Bowl. That'd be oh, cool. God, God, I, help, I, God I, help us if that happens with the commercials. Uh, I could possibly see that, but I just, for me, I know the one thing Aaron Rodgers, his biggest weakness is when, when he gets has to deal with pressure, especially guys that can run and chase him out of the pocket, um, where he's not just breaking pocket and freely you know, getting an opportunity to change the angle and throw the ball downfield. He's great out of the pocket, but I think Nick Bosa is going to be on his ass all night. Yeah, for me, this game definitely comes down to the fact that uh, I think San Francisco's defensive line is going to have Aaron Rodgers running for his life in Same. this game. Um, I don't think Green Bay's offensive line is that great. Uh, I've seen already when they matched up before previously, San Francisco just completely ate them up in terms of their defensive line. And then the other thing is, so we're going to get, so uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Richard Sherman was complaining uh, about not getting his respect. Well, here you go, Richard Sherman. Line up and cover Devontae Adams. Shut him down. And let's. And I mean, you guys could be heading to the Super Bowl, so people will be giving you respect if you do that. But I do think this defensive line is going to be the key element for San Francisco. And I trust Shanahan and that offense to score points against Green Bay. So I like San Francisco to win big in this game. Yeah, you know, Richard Sherman had a uh, you know in his post game, he was like, you know, everyone calls me a zone corner saying I can't play man. He's like, well, manned him up, cut the route, intercepted it. Boom, man corner, shut up. <laughs> so I think the only thing we have left uh, is now a prediction on the on the AFC side. Um, who do you guys have getting to the Super Bowl on the AFC side? Yeah, for me it's Kansas City. Uh, that, that offense is it's hard to stop. Um, so, yeah, Kansas City. Yeah, now we have a career uh, went over that it's Kansas City's going to – I think they're going to pull away. Um and uh, it could be a two-score game for sure. With honestly, like the way that that Kansas City won this last game has me more confident um, that they, I think they'll they'll make it to the Super Bowl just because they can score in bunches. Uh, we went from like joking about how they're dead and, and gone and out of the game down twenty-four-zero to them taking a lead. It felt like a half hour of, of like real time. Um, Obviously, super sudden from just how quickly they can turn around, how fast they can score. Uh, they can get down the field in one play with, with you know Tyreek and, and their ability to stretch the field. Explosive receivers it's, everywhere. It's ridiculous. And and, and and don't forget, Patrick Mahomes really had a really good game in running the ball himself. Yeah. And then Travis Kelsey is a monster. Yeah. Um, so in the Super Bowl, if my prediction works out, we'll get to see Travis Kelsey and George Kittle lining up and super both, excited for that both both being you know two of the better tight ends the two best tight ends in I the league that. going up against each other should be fun to watch yeah so uh we'll, we'll definitely we'll be back next week um obviously with the with the super bowl that, that in between week uh we're gonna beat that matchup to death so we don't want to go you know we'll, we'll try to space it out probably mix in some other content as well uh we'll be a little bit further into to the nhl season to the college basketball starting to head towards you know we've, we've got the pro bowl next week that we can talk about and I we've also we got we've got a lot of nhl stuff the nhl <laughs> yeah. all-star game uh nhl all-star game which is another joke so, in the so all-star game we'll be able to you know we haven't done a ton of hockey talk but we can get into that sure um so i think that's our plan for next week but we hope to see you like share follow subscribe in all wherever you listen to, me, to your podcasts, yeah, and don't be afraid. Uh, find us 
on the Facebook group, find us on Twitter, one of our social media outlets. Find us on Instagram, please. Yeah, and, and just throw us, you know, if you have questions, if you have things you want to comment on, if you think we're idiots, if you hate all Newman's takes like we do, uh, just let us know. And, and definitely don't be afraid to, to interact with us. We want to make this interact, interactive for you guys. Uh, because we're going to run out of ideas eventually or talk about the same boring stuff that everybody else talks about, and that's not necessarily what we want to do. And we'll see you at the XFL tailgates. See you at the XFL tailgates. Go Pens.